0: Michael, Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here and just want to say thanks for coming, Uh, thanks for being here. These are pretty brief moments that we get together on a Sunday morning, but I hope in the time that you've already been in the space here at uh, Genesis that you've already been encouraged and hopefully met some people along the way. One of the things that uh, I will give you some insight into me is I really do not like being surprised. Now you can maybe psychoanalyze why that might be, but I love surprising people. Do not like being surprised, but love surprising people. And over the years, I've been surprised on a handful of occasions for sure, but when I look back to probably the thing that surprised me most, I was in Chicago at the time, it was 2004, and I was finishing up grad school. And Kyla had said, hey, let's do something special. This is kind of a big deal. Uh, Why don't we do something? I was like, absolutely not. I'm not even sure I'm gonna go to the ceremony. It really is not that big of a deal. And so she's like, okay. Uh, And we decided I was gonna go to the actual ceremony where you walk across the stage, get the the, 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 the diploma. And um, I'm walking across stage and I hear When my name is called and I come up and I shake the president's hand and he gives me a piece of paper that says you can move on in life now, there's this huge roar from the crowd and I was expecting it was just me and Kyla and Kyla can't scream that loud. And I looked out to the crowd and there was a little over 45 people that had driven from uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, to join us in Chicago. And the people that had come to join us was friends uh, that we had served at at a church in Columbus where I did youth ministry for five years. And I was, remember looking out at this crowd, this small sea of people that drove from Columbus just to spend the weekend with Kyle and I. And we came back to the house. She had organized this huge surprise party. Uh, but I remember many emotions uh, that I was feeling at that moment, that surprise party. But the two emotions that I remember more than anything was just a sense of awe and wonder that that many people would drive about seven hours just to come watch me walk across the stage and then have a very uh, small graduation party. It was, it was a moment that I certainly will not forget, but I remember being filled with awe and wonder at that surprise. Now, as I've been thinking a lot about God and who He is and what He is like and Uh, and how I've experienced God over the years, uh, I'd say this of God, God is surprising. God is surprising. It's safe to say, all of us here have expectations on what God should do, on what God should act like, or things maybe we expect God to say, but what often surprises me is that he does not always do or say or act in the way that I think that he should give you a few examples. Uh, there is a man in the Old Testament. Uh, his name is David, and he was served as a king of Israel. And if you're familiar with David, his story's got some, some aspects to it that are really hard, including committing adultery with another, uh, another uh, a woman who's married to this man. And not only does he commit adultery, but he gets this woman pregnant. And when he finds out that he can't hide this, he decides to murder this, uh, this man. And then, not only that, he decides to cover up the whole thing and try to get away with the whole thing. But yet, when God looks at this man, King David, in the New Testament, this is what God says of King David. David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And I read that, I'm like, really? I don't know. That's kind of surprising. Because I look at what David did, and I'm like, it doesn't seem like that's a man after God's own heart, sleeping with a, a, a woman that's not your wife, getting pregnant, covering it up, murder. like So in that moment, I wouldn't expect God to say that David, in light of all that David did, was a man after his own heart. There's a letter in the New Testament uh, called Hebrews, and there's a chapter in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it walks through multiple stories of men and women who just walked with God throughout history. And it's known as like the hall of faith, men and women who lived very heroically. But we get to a part in Hebrews where it says this, "'There were others who were tortured, and some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword.'" Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. See, that's surprising to me because I would expect that God would take care of those that were faithfully walking with Him and wanting to be used by Him. So it's surprising to me that these men and women just died horrific, awful, painful deaths My expectation is, God, why don't you protect them? Why don't you provide for them? Why don't you take care of them? Why do you allow them to live and die in such painful ways? Another example is maybe you're familiar with a man named Peter. I think a lot of people, when they hear the name Peter, the initial thought is, yeah, wasn't he that guy who denied even knowing Jesus? Like, call call down a curse on himself that, I swear to God, I do not know this man. I'm not associated with this man. About 50 days after Peter swore he didn't even know who Jesus is, this is what happens. Peter stands in front of a big crowd in Acts chapter 2. Peter stepped forward. And then the rest of Acts 2 talks about how Peter preached this incredible message. And this was the result of the message he preached. It says, those who believed what Peter said, they were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all that's surprising to me. I wouldn't expect God to use someone who denied even knowing Jesus to reach 3,000 people. I would expect him to use somebody else who had a better track record than Peter. So many stories of God in Scripture and in my own life of doing and saying unexpected things. Now, maybe it shouldn't be this way in my life, but I would tell you God is still surprisingly surprising to me. He is surprisingly surprising to me. Or another way to to phrase that is this. God unexpectedly exceeds my expectations. God in unexpected ways, surprising ways, exceeds the expectations that I have. I do want to be clear. God does not surprise himself. God is not shocking himself as if he doesn't know what he is going to do. But what God does is often so radically different than anything I or you could actually ever imagine. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah says this, my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Meaning the ways, the plans, the purposes, the timing of God, far beyond anything you could ever imagine. So as we just look at God's story, the scriptures, time and time again, we see God surprising people, doing often what they'd least expect and generally with the people you'd least expectedly it to be done with. So this morning I just want to consider just one story that I would just call as a surprising story to me. But I wanted to ask this question before we look at the story. Why does God act in surprising ways? Why does God act towards us in surprising ways? And I wanted to answer the question, Not with a phrase, but more of an equation. And the equation is this, awe plus wonder equals worship. Why does God act in surprising ways? That there would be awe coupled with wonder that would lead to worship. Awe, meaning the the things that our eyes would see. When we consider the work and the activity of God, how He is moving in our lives, around our lives, through our lives, there would be awe at what we see. And what we see would begin to penetrate into just who we are as people, our hearts, our soul, and we would be filled with wonder. And when there is awe coupled with wonder, there would be worship. God is surprising so that we might live every moment of every day in awe and wonder of who He is and all that He is doing. And again, where there's awe and wonder, there's going to be worship. And when I mean worship, I don't mean just skipping and singing a song every day, but there will be a genuine celebration every day of, I can't believe this is who God is. And this is what God is doing. And this is how God is moving. I would just maybe ask you to consider and kind of think through this question of, when's the last time that your eyes saw something that left you with awe? And not only what you saw left you with awe, but it filled you with an incredible sense of wonder. When's the last time when you considered just the work of God and who He is and what He's doing left you with awe and wonder, and it brought you to a place of worship, celebration? So the story I want to share with you today serves to illustrate, hopefully, this truth. And the truth would be, God will exceed your expectations. We all have them. We all have expectations of what God is and what God is like and how we think God should act and how we think God should move or what we think God should say. And what I learned from this story is God will exceed your expectations. Whatever they are, God will exceed your expectations. This doesn't mean that God's gonna do everything that you think he should or you want him to, but as we're gonna see in this story, he's gonna surprise you By by doing even more than you could ever imagine, so much more that there would be awe and wonder in your life. That would lead to just a joyful celebration of this is God. I cannot believe that He's working in this way, filled with wonder. We'll just call this story uh, Surprising Water. Surprising Water. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been overwhelmed, which I think is all of us. You can remember that situation or that story where there was just an overwhelming sense of fear, not only because of what was happening, but there was more anxiety and stress and fear of, I have no idea how this story is going to turn out. I have no idea what the ending will be. I have no idea how this will play out. And because you didn't know how it was going to go and how it was going to play out, there was just this incredible sense of not only confusion but just anxiety and fear. So if that resonates with you, you've been in that place before, well, then you can begin to connect a little bit with how the men and women in the nation of Israel were feeling and what they were experiencing as they were standing in front of the Red Sea. Now, the nation of Israel, as a way of context, they had been a people that were in bondage for roughly 400-plus years. Imagine being generation after generation after generation in bondage Hard, hard slavery. And this is their story. For 400 years, they were in painful bondage. But after 400 years, God moved. God began to rescue them. Imagine being the very first generation after 430 years had passed to hear these words. This is Exodus 12, verse 31. Pharaoh sent, ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Imagine being the generation that heard those two words because no other generation had heard them before you. You are now the people that get to hear the command from the ruler of Egypt that just simply says, get out. No one had heard that before. I'm guessing that there was a sense of awe and wonder of what might be happening when they hear these words, get out. But then something pretty surprising happens. Something unexpected happens. And this is the story in Exodus chapter 13, starting at verse 17. Uh, It says this, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. It says he didn't lead them along the main road. Even though that was the shortest, quickest route, he led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. I have to believe there's a handful of people who are asking themselves this question, uh, where are we going right now? Like, what are we doing right now? Because this roundabout way doesn't seem to make sense, and I don't know if anyone has a GPS on them, but we're headed towards the Red Sea. We're blocking ourselves in. We can't do anything when we get to the Red Sea. Can you relate with that emotion where you just kind of are asking, God. This path, this direction, this timing, this plan, it's a little bit surprising. It's a bit unexpected of, God, why are you doing it this way? Well, if things were not already surprising for the nation of Israel, and if maybe things aren't already enough surprising for you, this story takes yet another, what you can call a surprising twist. In Exodus 14, starting at verse 5, it says this, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all, of these, uh, letting all of those Israelites, slaves, get away? They asked. And so Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. Skip down to verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people uh, of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, and they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us, uh, why did you bring us, uh, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you, uh, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now, here's what I hear these people saying. We never really expected God to free us. Didn't we tell you this was going to happen? Didn't we warn you that this was just going to happen? He wasn't really going to let us go. And if he did, didn't we tell you he was going to chase us down? And now we're just going to die. We told you, Moses, and telling you, God, we knew that you were not going to come through for us. Is there anything, as you consider your story, maybe the story that you're in right now, where you've just actually given up on expecting God to move? Or you've just kind of given up on expecting God to do anything different? Because I think this is what, in part, is happening with the people of Israel. We just gave up expecting God to actually do anything. For those of you who are married, I wonder, is there anything in your marriage that you just kind of gave up a while ago expecting God to do anything different? It's just been like this for so long, it's not going to change. Maybe with communication or intimacy or connection, it's just not going to get any different. It never will. I've stopped expecting God to do something or maybe if you're single, but yet you've been asking for a long time, I really crave and desire to be in a relationship headed towards marriage, but it's just not happening. I just kind of gave up expecting God to actually do anything. And you can just go through the list, maybe something in your career, maybe an addiction that you've just had for years and years, and you just gave up expecting that this addiction, whatever it might be, would ever go away. Or maybe it's just a broken situation, but it's been broken for a long, 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 long time. And just you gave up expecting God to actually do anything new or do anything different. Now, I'm not sure when it happened, but I think at some point the Israelites, they just gave up expecting God to actually bring freedom, to bring redemption, to set them free. And for some, and maybe us here as well, it's not so much Uh, that you gave up expecting God to move and to act. Rather, the issue is that your expectations were not actually, are not consistent with this plan. Because I have to believe there's some people in this community who are just wondering, God, why didn't you just bring us right to the promised land? Like this whole roundabout way, it's just, it's not working. Why didn't you just, because my expectation is, if we're going to be free, then just take us to the promised land. Why don't you make the, the path, as quick, painless, and easy as possible. And I just think the unspoken expectations that we have is that God would just immediately fix it, that God would somehow immediately heal it, or that He would immediately redeem it or rescue me and you, the Israelites, out of said situation. But what I've learned from a lot of personal experiences is that having wrong expectations of God will lead me to actually fear and worry and anxiety, not awe and wonder. So when Moses is looking at these people who are now freaking out, this is what Moses tells the people. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you just stay calm. Now, I don't know the last time you freaked out is, but generally speaking, when we're having a really bad moment, filled with anxiety, fear, worry, feeling overwhelmed, generally speaking, the last thing that we want someone to tell us is, hey, just stand still and stay calm. Because there's part of you be like, yeah, I would be doing that if I actually knew how to do that, but you don't know the situation I'm in. It's impossible to stand still and stay calm. But this is what Moses tells the people, just stand still and stay calm. Moses is not just telling the people, hey, chill out. What Moses is actually reminding the people of, and us as well, is this important truth. God's got this. Two times in this few short verses, Moses reminds them, the Lord will rescue you today. The Lord himself will fight for you. What Moses is trying to help the people understand, help us understand, is God's got this. God has you. He has this situation. He has this story. There's been so many times as I look back in my story that I've had to preach that message to myself over and over. Michael, God's got this. God has this. I don't know how, but God has this. He has you. He has this story. So I was just wondering, is there anywhere in your story today where you might need to begin preaching that message to yourself in your marriage stand still and stay calm. Why? Because God has this. In your singleness, stand still and stay calm. Why? Well, because God has this. He has you in career or finance or sickness or uncertainty. Stand still and stay calm. I think a lot of us, we want to do that, And we want to trust and believe that God has this, but isn't the question that we ask and wonder is, but how will God work this story out? How many times have you wondered that question? God, I want to do this. I want to be able to trust, but how are you going to work this out? Again, what I've learned over years is just this. God's how will always be surprisingly better. God's how, not my how, but God's how will always be surprisingly better. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 77, as the psalmist is recalling the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel being set free, the story of the Red Sea. The psalmist says this, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You see, the people couldn't see the path just like we can rarely see the path, but God can and He does. We can't see it, I know we want to see it, but just because we can't see it doesn't mean that God is not working out a story that would leave us in awe and wonder and worshiping Him over what He's doing. I love the, the verse, a pathway that no one knew was there, but God knew it was there the whole time. And as the story goes on in Exodus 14, pick up at uh, verse uh, 15, says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through in the middle, walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And then verse 21, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind and the wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. I don't know about you, but I can't even fathom or imagine what it would have been like to have been there to walk through the Red Sea, but on dry ground. I'm pretty confident that 2 million plus people who were that day were thinking to themselves, well, this is pretty surprising. I didn't see this one coming. I didn't wake up this morning like, yeah, I bet that's how God is going to work. I bet He's going to just take the waters, part them, and we're going to walk right through the middle. I don't even think they had a category for something as surprising like that as to happen. Out of all of the ways that God could have rescued uh, Israel from Pharaoh's army, why do it this way? Like, why part the waters that they'd walk through on dry ground? There's so many ways that God could have done it. He could have just gone all Thanos on them, snapped his fingers, and the army of Egypt is just gone. He could have somehow empowered all of these people from the nation of Israel to pick up arms and begin fighting and overtaking them. Why, Why part the seas? Why walk through on dry ground? I think really two things... God wanted them to have a story. God wanted them to have a story of something that they saw that stirred awe, that their hearts were filled with wonder, and they would be men and women who would begin to worship God. But I don't think the story stopped with them. I think God wanted them to have a story that they would tell, that those who heard the story of how God worked, how God moved, would lead others who heard the story to be filled with awe and wonder that they would be people who would worship as well. See, the way God works in our lives is not just in isolation for us. He's usually working stories in our lives so that other people around our lives would catch a glimpse and be filled with awe and wonder and worship Him. I love the people's response to what they saw. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power, Exodus 14, 31, that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before Him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Like the nation of Israel, you might not be able to see his path, his plan, his time with any semblance of clarity. But like them, we can stand still and stay calm. Why? Because God has this. He has you. You can't see it, but just because you can't see it doesn't mean he's not moving, doesn't mean he's not working. What you cannot see, he can And so the invitation from God to us is, stand still, stay calm, because I am working, I am moving, I am fighting for you on your behalf. In His time and His way, it will surprise you. But like I mentioned at the beginning, God will unexpectedly exceed your expectations. Why? Because he wants you to have awe and wonder that you might worship him. This is the people's response. It says they were filled with awe, semblance of wonder over what they got to see God do. If you read, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but this story of the Exodus is told in in, uh, Exodus 13 and 14. But the very next chapter, do you know what the whole chapter of Exodus 15 is? It's a song of worship. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, then Moses... And the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider to the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is warrior. Yahweh is His name. And then the whole chapter goes on with a song of just praise and worship. Now, is it really possible... For you and I to live every moment of every day with an incredible sense of awe over what we're seeing and how God's working and be filled with wonder where every day we would be men and women who are worshiping or celebrating the work, the activity of God in our lives. Is it possible in the midst of the stories that we're all in, and we're all in a story right now, is it really possible that you could have awe and wonder and just worship God in the midst of that? And I would say yes for one reason. And the one reason is because of something that Jesus said is true about God the Father and Jesus the Son. It says in John 5, verse 17, my Father is always working and so am I. It's possible to have awe and wonder because God is always working. There is never a moment in time when He's not working. There's never a moment in time where you could point your finger at God and say, you're not doing anything here. God would speak to you gently and say, you can't see it, but I'm working. Stand still and stay calm. Why? Because I have this, I have you. So it is possible that we could be people who are walking and living with such great awe and wonder, not walking around tired and exhausted and stressed and frustrated and anxious and worried and fearful and fretful of everything that's happening in our story. We can actually to say, God, you're at work, I can't see it, I don't understand it, but I know that you will unexpectedly exceed any expectations that I might have. Uh, This past Valentine's Day, Kyle and I celebrated 20 years, and I wanted to do something really special uh, to say, hey, thanks for putting up with me very much a drama queen in our relationship. And so I had planned this incredible surprise uh, to take her on a vacation. We'd never really gone on a vacation, uh, just the two of us without kids in the past 20 years. And so uh, I took her to uh, Cabo San Lucas, which is in Mexico. And because I don't like being surprised, but I love giving surprises, I gave this trip to her on Valentine's Day, and she's like, this is amazing. How did you pull this off? She said, when are we going? Like sometime this summer? I said, no, we're going in in two days. She's like, we're leaving to go to Mexico in two days? I was like, isn't this great? Uh, If she would have done that to me, we would have had serious issues, but I love doing that for her. I thought that I was taking Kyla on a surprise vacation, but God surprised me with something I didn't see coming. One of God's uh, biggest surprises in my life. Kyla, we were there for, I think, about six, seven days, and around day five, Kyla and I were having a a good but hard conversation over just what's God doing in our lives, and she just asked me, Michael, like, what is it you really want to see God do? And direct quote, I just told Kyla, I said, Kyle, I'm just tired of being sad all the time. And so I just said, you know, Kyle, you've been with me obviously for 20 plus years. I've just experienced just a level of sadness and melancholy and depression and depressive tendencies. I'm just tired of uh, just being sad all the time. So I said, I'm just going to go for a walk and just just need to think and just want to pray. I had no expectations whatsoever that God would ever do anything to meet me in the midst of my sadness. Why? Because it had been so long. I kind of gave up on the idea that God could actually take my sadness and replace it with a joy that I had not experienced in a really long time. And I remember I went for a walk on the beach. I walked about an hour up the beach and didn't see a soul. It was just me in the Pacific Ocean crying my eyes out just saying, God, I'm tired of being sad. I don't know what to do with this. I've cried enough about it, I've prayed enough about it, but I'm just tired of being sad. And I can't really tell you in the time that I have uh, what happened in that moment, uh, but God met my sadness with an incredible sense of joy that I'd never experienced before. And when I walked back that hour, uh, if you would have seen me, you would have been like, wow, that dude looks weird. Looks like he's floating on the sand right now. I was smiling, I was singing, I was laughing. I was so excited to go back and tell Kyla how God met me uh, in in a way that I hadn't met God before in 20 plus years. And I can tell you with just confidence and conviction, this happened about four and a half, five months ago. Uh, I have never experienced as much joy as I've had in the last five months. Something happened. God surprised me. God surprised me in a way that I never thought he would surprise me. That's why I say God is surprisingly surprising to me. But he unexpectedly exceeded my expectation for what I thought would just be another walk, another prayer, crying out, God, I'm just, I don't know what to do with this. God met me in a way and it was just powerful. And so I would just leave you with this question. Where is God seeking to surprise you today? That you might be filled with awe and wonder all over what you see Him doing, wonder with what He is doing, that it would lead you to worship. I think the prayer that I have been praying and learning how to pray afresh is this, rather than God help me understand your plan, I want to see like how it all is is going to play out. It's just a very simple prayer that just says, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see you, not even the plan, not even all the timeline. But just a simple prayer, God, open my eyes to see you. Why? Because God's working. He's always working. There's never a time He's not. But I think our eyes are often closed to what God is doing and more open to what's not happening and where we feel stuck, whether it's for two decades or longer. And I just want to pray for you and keep praying for me, God, open my eyes because I want to see you. I want to be surprised. By you, because I know, God, you will unexpectedly, unexpectedly exceed any expectations I could ever have.